Welcome back, everyone, to our 12th episode of the Transformational Coaches Community. Uh, we have officially been doing this a full year now. It's uh, hard to believe that we, we've came along this whole way and uh, crazy to think of how far we've came. Um, so throughout this year, if you have any suggestions, ideas for future calls, uh, please hit us up on Facebook uh, on the Transformational Coaches Community uh, page, also on Twitter at transformed 3 Okay. If you please would do that, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, any ideas or suggestions that you would have, um, we'd love to interact with you and maybe discuss some things that we could do on some future calls. Um, extremely excited about this episode as we talk with head football coach Brad Dixon uh, from Camp Point Central. I, I've been following Coach Dixon on Twitter um, over the past year, especially since this fall, and just looking at the different methods and, and different things that he's been doing with training and a lot of the things I have adopted into my own basketball program this season, which we immediately saw some success from, uh, especially in our recovery, uh, but also the things that we have added uh, to our strength and conditioning program uh, this spring. So we're especially uh, lucky to have him on tonight. Um, things that he's going to discuss with his side are a ton of different topics on strength and conditioning, everything from his mind, mindset shift on the topic uh, to how he balances strength and speed training, uh, in-season training, and how weight training transfers uh, into the different sports. So once again, as our community, our vision statement, remember our purpose is to equip, empower, and encourage coaches. Um, as always, we respect your time, and we hope to be done uh, you know, in 35 to 40 minutes. And if anyone is on tonight, we just ask, please remember uh, to mute your phone so we don't have any feedback noise uh, while Coach Dixon is talking. So Brad Dixon is the head football coach, head boys track coach, the strength and conditioning coordinator, and PE teacher at Camp Point Central High School in Illinois. His football team this past season were the 2018 IHSA Class 1A state runner-up. Uh, coach Dixon has led the transformation of Camp Point's strength program, and we are extremely excited to learn and to speak from him tonight. So Coach Dixon, welcome. Hey, thanks a lot. Uh, um, blessed to be uh, given an opportunity to come on and and speak. Um, I know this has been something that that had been in the talks for uh, you know just talking with uh, Coach Emmerich over the past year or so about getting something like this going and uh, to see it actually um, shake out and and be going now for a year. I guess I'm honored to be on that uh, year anniversary episode. Absolutely, Coach. Feeling is, is definitely mutual having you on tonight. Um, Coach, starting off, uh, I know following you on Twitter, uh, it's been a pretty apparent that you have had a major mindset shift over the last couple of years in how you are training your athletes. What has been a couple of the major shifts that you've made personally in this journey? Um, I, I'll start with a little bit of my background. Um, I... Uh, uh, I'm a foot, I played football and basketball and baseball in high school and, and played a year of college football and and then uh, kind of, I guess, let myself go and uh, <laughs> probably gained about an extra 100 pounds over uh, the first start of my teaching career through college. And and then, uh, you know, I think back in like 2008 or nine I kind of got on this fitness journey and, and uh, at one time had lost like 130 pounds and started working out at, at another point I had lifted for uh, like 448 straight days. Um, and so that, that's 
that was my mindset. You know, we you got to work out, you got to lift, you got to lift heavy. Uh, this is, you know, as a football coach, um, this is what we do. We have to get stronger. You know, people always say bigger, faster, stronger. Um, but I don't think people understand necessarily what order they want to be in. They just know that um, if they're going to compete, they have to get in the weight room. And, and that was kind of where my mindset was. And then uh, three years ago, I, I got asked by one of my assistant coaches uh, if I'd be willing to uh, take over the boys', boys side of track. Uh, he was the girls' track coach, but, you know, it was just two of us and kind of worked together. And I was like, I don't know. I had just given up coaching basketball after 14 years, and, you know, we've got a four-year-old and a two-year-old. And, um, at the time they were, you know, we had, I guess, just a one-year-old. Um, but I said, yeah, I'll do it. And, uh, this is a guy's name's coach. He's Mike Bickerman. He's at Rushville now. And, um, he had talked a lot about speed when he came in cause he had a track background and I just, uh, you know, yeah, that's fine. The stronger we get, the faster we'll run. And, and, um, you know, speed was just something that we tested at the beginning and maybe once in the middle. And, once I started to uh, kind of go on this track journey, I kind of started to understand, or I did understand what max velocity speed was and what it means to run as fast as you can. Um, for so many years uh, coaching, I called sprinting uh, just sub-max, it's not necessarily jogging, but sub-maximal running. Um, all of the sprints that we would ever run in football were never really sprints. And it wasn't until I uh, – started coaching track that I started to understand this. And um, so then that led me to start following some, some pretty crazy thinking people outside the box that were very, very successful track coaches. Uh, probably the biggest one being uh, Tony Holler, a Hall of Fame track coach at Plainfield North. Uh, another guy by the name of Chris Corfus, um, who's one of the best speed coaches in the entire country, is, teaches coaches at Hinsdale Central. And um, I started listening to some of this thing called minimum effective dose. And uh, really got me thinking because, you know, we, we tried or I tried to give our athletes as much as they could tolerate. Um, in other words, what is the most? Because if a little bit is good, then more has to be better when it comes to the weight room. If a guy can squat 300, then he needs to squat 405 because if he does, he's going to be better. And that was the mindset I had for a long, long time. And then I realized that, uh, the reality is in everything else that we do in life, we want to find the least amount. Um, you know, we don't do more work than is necessary. We don't uh, train in our own lives more than we need to. And uh, so I really started thinking about that. How, how can I train these athletes effectively by doing the least amount? Um, they're all high school kids. They're all multiple sport athletes. And so that's really where my mindset shift started to go away from, you know, what can I add and do more of to what can I cut out? And it's been kind of a, a two- to three-year journey, um, really, that we've, we've really tried to kind of hone this in, and we're still, you know, learning as we go, my assistants, myself, um, you know, but that's definitely been the biggest shift um, in our training and our practices is trying to do whatever is the minimum that we need to to see the maximum results and, and everything else kind of builds from there. That's awesome. So, I mean, we, we hear coaches and, and people in sport talk about the process all the time. Everybody's talking about the process. So do you believe that consistency is, is, is one of the main ingredients there to help make that work? Absolutely. Yeah, I've 
had the pleasure of speaking uh, several football clinics this year. It's kind of what happens when you win some games. Everyone thinks you're smart. Uh, if you lose, then you're not. But, you know, we all know that's not true, that smart coaches uh, lose and, and dumb coaches win. And uh, But one of the things that I talk about is you don't know what you don't know. Um, and for the longest time, I didn't know. Uh, this is how I was brought up in the coaching realms from college ball, high school ball, that, you know, we got to make these kids tough. we got to be physical. We have to, you know, we've got to kill them in the weight room because when it gets down to the fourth quarter, we're going to be able to be the tougher team. And, and, and that's what I believe because that's all I knew. And uh, what this, this coming year or this year that we just finished was my 16th year overall coaching in my eighth year as a head coach. And um, this was the year we finally kind of dove all into this philosophy and that, that was being a head coach for eight years and being assistant for 16. And if we had been switching things all the time and changing offenses and defenses and did all that, then we probably would have continued to believe that maybe that was our reason. Uh, but we felt really good about the, the football side of things that we were teaching. Um, and then we were, I was never totally sold on how we were training them. And it wasn't until we, we messed up enough and I got to learn from other people that knew a lot more than me that the way we were doing it isn't necessarily the best way. And I, I'm not arguing that, that the way we do it now is the best way. You know, you talk mm-hmm. to me in six months or a year or two years, I may have another mindset shift. Um, but I think as a coach, the more consistent you are and the more consistent your staff is, um, you know, and you stay in one place long enough, you start to learn what works and doesn't work, and, and that's kind of how we got to this point. That's awesome. You, you, you really, you know, talked about being committed uh, to incorporating major sprint work into your athletes. Um, you know, my background um, as a baseball player, it was a lot, of, a lot of strength training and a lot of jogging. I mean, that's what we did. You know, we, we, we'd go for long runs and we'd lift heavy weights. So, how, and this is one thing that I also struggle because of my background. So how do you find the balance of, working on strength training, and then incorporating the speed work with it? You know, I think there's a, a couple principles, and a lot of this stuff, you know, I've stolen from other people or, or bits and pieces of it. And I think one of the biggest things you understand as a track coach is you never want today's practice to ruin tomorrow's. And I did that for a long time, you know. I used to wear, and I think many people do, soreness as a badge of honor. If my athletes were sore, then we did our job, okay? Mm-hmm. And I think that is so totally wrong today, and I, and I want to go back to some of those other co- teams that I've trained and coached because, you know, these are high school kids that have a ton of different things going on, and they have multiple sports, and they're doing all this stuff, and we're encouraging them to play multiple sports. We're encouraging them to, at sometimes to get up at 6 o'clock in the morning to work out because they have practice after school or whatever, and then we're trying to bury them to where they don't feel like practicing after school. They're sore for the next two days. They can't get up and down the basketball floor. They can't, you know, play baseball the right way. And, and a lot of people would say that, well, that's just being soft, you know. And, and, I, and one of my biggest pet peeves right now is, is Twitter – um, in the fact that a video clip will show, uh, let's say, an NBA athlete or a college athlete lifting weights the day of a game, the day after a game, and then you see, and I'm a football coach, 
and you see all of these football coaches retweet, retweet, retweet. You can lift the day of a game, see you quit being a, you know, a wussy and all these different things. And I think that is the bad way to go about it. I think, and, and I was guilty of this, too many football coaches want to train all their athletes off-season. If I have a football player that's also playing basketball, I want him to work out and I want to train him like he's uh, in the football off-season and then expect him to go out and play basketball. Uh, and, it, and it's you can't do that. And everyone thinks you can. And when you see these video clips of people working out, no one knows the context of what their workouts look like. Um, and, and I just think that there's this negative dialogue and everyone wants to encourage multi-sport athletes, but I don't think we, we grasp this idea of kids only have so much in the tank and we are pulling them so many different ways and, and all these different things and whether we want to buy into it or not, but they're on social media, they're not getting the amount of sleep that they need to get. You know, all these different things that go on affects the way they perform and the way they train. And I think when we focus everything holistically on this weight room as if it's the holy grail of every successful athlete, we lose sight of all these other variables that are included. And the biggest one is sprinting. Um, and so for us, sprinting really, and I, and I joke around this because one, I guess, calling one of my mentors, Tony Holler, when I, when I spoke in Chicago, I, I put my number one priority was was sprinting max velocity, and my number two was rest. And he goes, whoa, whoa, whoa I think you got that turned around. And, and he's right. Rest is number yeah. one. If we want our kids to perform, they need to get adequate amounts of rest. Number two is sprinting. So what does that mean? We sprint when we are 100% recovered, when we are trying to build max speed. Um, and so for us, that is Monday or the first day of the week. So today we come off a five-day break. And we had some baseball games, and we had some track meets and such in between their softball games. But we hadn't trained since last Wednesday in, in my class. And so today we ran competition 40s. So that's where two guys um, put the chips on. We have a timer. We time everything because if you want to measure speed, if you want to measure anything, you have to time it. And you have to find a way that it will be effectively done. And, and so for us, that's a free-lap timer. Kids wear chips. I set out cones. It sends it right to my phone what their time is. Uh, and so we ran those today, and we had a lot of people PR today. And, and why? Because they, they had five days off. And so we always do our max velocity sprint days the first day of the week. Um, I know some people squat on Monday. If you squat on Monday and then we expect the rest of the week to make them feel, you know, th where they feel able to compete at 100%, it's, it's really probably not going to happen. Um, yeah. And so that's what we do when we start practice. That's when our sprint period is. It's when we are fully rested. Um, and people are probably going to say, well, well, you're never fully rested in competition. And, and that's totally true. Um, but when we work on our sprinting, we want to sprint at max velocity. Because if we sprint at submax speed, then we're going to play at a, probably an even slower speed. If we, if we sprint at our max velocity speed, and let's say we increase our max velocity speed by 10%, 15%. Well, then our sub-max velocity speed is also faster. So our game speed, let's call it, if it's football or basketball. If I can get from point A to point B faster at 100%, then when I'm in a game, I'm also going to be able to get there faster. I'm also going to be able to, you know, if it's basketball, I'm going to be able to get to the rim faster than I was before because I've increased that. And, and um, the way Coach Holler talks about it is um, – if you always train at 80 
it's really impossible to get to 100. If you train at 100, it's a lot easier to play at 80. Uh, and that's kind of our, what, what our thought process is. So when we train, it's always very short reps. So we might only, like today, we ran three reps. Some of the people that had uh, sports, sports tonight and, and sports over the weekend, they may have only got two reps. And it's kind of based upon how they feel. So that, that's kind of how that sprint part fits in. And it's not something that we just do after the fact because that's not sprinting. Sprinting has to be when you're recovered and you can sprint at max velocity. Otherwise, like you said, it's jogging, it's running, or it's sub-max conditioning. Absolutely. You know, Coach, one, one thing that, that I picked up from, from you and from Coach Corpus and from, from Coach Holler this past year, um, and I know this isn't in, in stuff that we've had to discuss, but I'd just like you to highlight it just a little bit, is, is RPR. Um, we implemented this this year with our basketball program, and we immediately started seeing results, like immediately. Um, guys were fresh. They were feeling alive. Um, they felt good. Um, if you could, could you just, just highlight that just a little bit and kind of and show how that kind of fits into the recovery and, and being prepared to go? Yeah, yeah RPR is uh, just an unbelievable game changer for athletics. Um, it stands for Reflexive Performance Reset. Uh, it's kind of a, a – a, a bridge or, a, or a, an offshoot, let's say, of the old be activated of Douglas Hill. And, and um, uh, the same coach, Mike Vickerman, came to us four years ago and with this uh, activation stuff, and he used to do our football team with it. And, and uh, I didn't really even pay attention. I had other things going on. And as a coach, I don't step on the, the toes of our assistant coaches when they do their job. And and so when he took that other job, I was like, well, you know what, I need to get, I need to kind of figure out what this stuff is. So um, back in June, I drove to Whitewater, Wisconsin. My wife's like, what are you doing this? What do you want to do this weekend? I said, babe, this is, I think this is a game changer for our program. I wouldn't drive five and a half hours, six hours of Whitewater on Saturday morning if I didn't think so. And so Chris Corpus did the class up there. And I left there after learning these level one wake-up drills. And I was just like, I got to get signed up for level two. Because he kind of said, well, that's level two stuff. So, I'm like, so I get home, I get on the computer, boom, he, he's running level two in the basement of his house in two weeks in Chicago. And I'm like, hey, honey, I, I got to go back to Chicago in two weeks. She's like, for what? I'm like, I don't even know if I can explain it to you, but I need to go. And, and bless her heart, she let me go. And, and uh, so we learned it. There was only ten of us down there, and we spent eight hours doing this stuff. Um, but probably the, the best way to, to – to, to get people to understand what it is, is, you know, like I talked about, we have so many things that happen in our lives that stress us out, you know, Mm -hmm. as adults, obviously as kids, and our brain is very uh, Um, Neanderthal-like. It has a fight or flight, and our brain thinks in in a couple different ways. Um, If I'm not very stressed, then, hey, everything's good, and and the, the, the brain is, not worried about this, this next catastrophe that might happen. But when, when we have this stress that happens in our life um, to our brain, it sends a signal that uh, something bad is probably getting ready to happen. And, and the way Chris explains it the most is it starts storing all of this energy and protecting these valuable muscle groups um, for the opportunity that uh, a bear starts chasing you so that your body can, can use itself correctly to get away from the bear. Um, and so you start developing these compensation patterns because uh, what we should use in competition 
to flex our hip is what's called our psoas muscle. And what we should use to extend um, our hip is our glute. And for a lot of athletes, they don't use those things. Some might use their quads. Some might use their lower back. And, you know, we've got so many people with all these lower back issues in our, in our country. Um, and what this RPR does is through manual stimulation of about 11 wake-up drills, it kind of turns these muscle groups back on. It sends these signals to the brain that says, hey, it's okay to use your hamstring, your glutes, the way that they are designed. And people way smarter than me, uh, you know, over time. And these are, these are practices that have all kind of morphed from things two, 300 years ago before modern medicine really took off. And, and uh, you know, I, I've, I've made immediate changes in athletes. They've made immediate changes in athletes where, where they've went from something not feeling good or for them being, you know, take their hamstring. In 30 seconds of, of working with an athlete, belly breathing, and moving a little bit of tissue around in their sternum, um, I can gain 20 to 30 degrees in their hamstring flexibility uh, in 30 seconds. Um, and those are things that, that um, are crazy immediate changes, and that's just, just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, but to see it actually in practice, this year in football, so we've averaged, I think, you know, 10 concussions a year over the last few years. And, you know, in this craze, we've had usually a couple season-ending injuries and those types of things. Football is a violent sport. And this year we had zero soft tissue injuries. We had zero concussions. We played uh, 16 weeks of football. We made it to the state championship game. And, and I always joke, we had two injuries. Uh, the first one happened the third day at camp. A kid hit his hand on the helmet and it broke. You know, broken bones are going to happen. And the other one was about the second or third day of, of our practice. Our starting uh, all-conference center falls down the stairs onto a doggy gate and puts about a six-inch gash in his leg <clears throat> that eventually gets infected, and he, start, and he spends eight days in the hospital. Um, and that was it. The rest of the year we didn't have a single player miss uh, a game, and, you know, our kids felt so much better with doing RPR, and that's how we warm up. That's how we you know, start all our workouts. That's how we start our practices. And you know, people think we're crazy, some of them. Uh, we don't even take the field in football until there's about six, 16 minutes to go in the game of, of the pregame. We don't do any of the traditional stuff. Um, we do stuff in the gym. We do stuff, you know, out, outside the field. So when we take the field, we do a few football-specific things, and then we play. And um, it kind of freaks people out because they wonder where we are. And, they, and if they see us doing it, they think we're weird. We'll, we'll show up to track meets and our guys will be karate chopping their inner thigh. And the, we just had it the other night. And these, these girls from another school are laughing at our boys going through their, their RPR stuff. Yeah. And I said, that's fine, guys. Because I, I would say on average I field two to five emails, direct messages, whatever, about RPR probably daily from people that are trying to figure out what this is. And if you're listening and you want to know more, it's just reflexiveperformance.com, and I can tell you from personal experience, you will not be disappointed um, with the information they're putting out and what you can do for your athletes. Absolutely. We, we started doing the wake-up drills uh, halfway through the season, actually, this year. Um, and it, it's kind of funny the first time you show them and do it, and it's nothing but giggling and, and you know, and kind of what in the world are we doing here? Um, but when the boys stood up after doing it and how they felt, they were hooked. And it was something that they requested every day from there on out mm -hmm. uh, because they immediately felt the difference uh, in their bodies and how it was responding. Yeah, and I'll give you one more, uh, one more testimony. So, so our all-state football player this year who rushed for, I don't know, 1,500 yards, caught 
five, six hundred yards, um, tore his ACL in basketball about two weeks, uh, uh, the last regular season week of the year, I think. And I said, you know, what, what happened? He goes, well, coach, I, I really haven't been doing RPR since football started. And that was one of the first things that he said. I didn't even preface that. That was what I was thinking because I understand that he was probably in a, a quad compensation. And so, you know, he's, he, his quad's doing more than it needs to, which then, you know, the brain's going to give the knee up and such. And, and crazy things happen. I'm not saying that RPR is going to solve all your problems. But I'm going to say if in 10 minutes maximum I personally can teach the kids how to do something, that's the thing about RPR. It's the only thing that's not practitioner-based. These kids can do this to themselves, and it will make them feel better. It will make them, uh, you know, perform better. It will make, it makes everything better. Um, yeah, I'm going to do it because I want to give my kids the best opportunity to be successful. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, shifting gears here a little bit, Coach. Um, we know at Camp Point that you have transformed the weight room uh, throughout the entire athletic department. Um, how how have you been able to do this so successfully at a small school with with limited budgeting, um, limited resources, limited time, uh, class size, and 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 schedules? How were you able uh, to be so successful um, in a small school setting? Probably the easy answer there is failure. You know, I, I did it wrong for a long time, and so I've kind of learned what works. Um, but it starts with, um, so I'm a history guy, I'm a history teacher by trade. Um, that's what my degree was in. But I was in charge of strength conditioning after school, sometimes before school, and then uh, in the summer. And so, I, you know, I had a passion for trying to get our, you know, I love taking athletes that come in and, you know, struggle to move. And then by the end of their senior year, they are, you know, good quality athletes. And so, um I, I approached our, our principal, who was a, a former PE guy at a bigger school district in Illinois, about how I would be willing to uh, go back and get my, my master's degree in physical education because, you know, you have to have 24 hours uh, mm-hmm. to get a PE certification to be able to do this um, if there was a chance that maybe we could, you know, eventually move me into that role because that's how important that I thought it was. And so after discussion with the principal and the superintendent, the principal saw this work in his district, and he's like, yeah, we, we need to do it. And so uh, three years ago, uh, we worked my schedule around. We created what's co- what was called a zero hour, which was a, a class that started at 7 o'clock in the morning um, mm-hmm. before my rest of my school day started. And we were able to condense my American history classes from 4 to 3, and we were able to create one more PE slot at that point. And so I had two what we called athletic enhancement, you know, where I was able to create the curriculum and, um, you know, but it still wasn't ideal because we were still asking kids to be in there at 7 o'clock, uh, still mm-hmm. teaching history. So, you know, we had some kids that wanted to take it that couldn't. And so over a couple more years, and so we're now into year three, um, because of some other things that happened, I was able to transition into full-time PE. This is my first year in full-time PE, and we were able to now create three full classes. Um, I would still like to get a couple more if we can do it, but I'm really the only male full-time PE teacher in our building now, 
and I'm able to teach this three times a day uh, during the regular school day. So, you know, we talk about rest being important. We don't ask our kids to come in um, at 7 o'clock anymore, that we start at 8, 10 like everybody else does. And, and uh, you know, when we train them, like I said earlier, you know, my mindset those that first year especially was we need to cram as much as I can into 35 minutes of work. Um, yeah. And the kids, I would hear feedback. I'd hear feedback from some of the coaches um, that, that and, 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 and we weren't, uh, but maybe as a, a backside, that was maybe what I was pressing. People say, well, they're just out there lifting for football. And um, that's not what my intention was, but I'm sure the way we were training it probably seemed that way. And yeah. uh, so that, that makes it hard for a basketball coach, a baseball coach, a softball coach to push their kids into something during the school day and encourage it if um, – they're not going to feel very good for multiple days afterwards. And so now over these three years, it's morphed into that minimum effective dose. What's essential? How does this fit into their playing schedule? That's the, the, the thing I ask at the end of the week, what's your schedule like? You know, one, one of our senior, our senior quarterback, when are you pitching this week? Not till Thursday. Okay, well, we're going to get this in for you today or or you're pitching tonight, okay, we're not going to do this exercise. And like I said, most people consider that, oh, that's being soft. He should be able to do everything. You're right. Could he? He probably can't. But if the athletes feel good, they get work in, they feel good, they understand that you care about them, they're going to work way more efficiently in that regard as opposed to you walking in with an iron fist and saying, nope, it calls for 3 by 10 on squat today, and I don't care if you've got to run a marathon later. We're squatting 3 by 10 by 3 o'clock, you'll feel better. And that used to be my mindset, and I think that's too many people's mindsets. Uh, people want to do too much with high school athletes. They see things on Twitter. They see things here, and everyone wants to do this new exercise when the reality of it is the kids need to learn how to be in an athletic stance, they need to learn how to hip hinge properly. They need, to, they need to push. They need to pull. They need to do some plyometrics. They need to work max speed. And, and things within that parameter, and then there's prehab things if they're an overhead throw sport, and there's other things that you can fit in. But they don't need to do all of these other things. Um, you know, I, there's things that I'm doing still, because I'm not completely sold off of it, like just, just a traditional back squat. Um, but I like split squats better. I like Bulgarian split squats better. I like front squats better. I'm not totally sold on the, on the hand clean, and people will argue you got to create power. Well, I've read a lot of things where we can generate a lot of the same force, if not more force, by doing a loaded hex bar jump without the, the coordination. Um, and so are there some kids that can clean really well? Yes. Are there some kids that can't? Yes. Can we find a way to get the same amount of power and the same work with multiple different kids? Um, and those are the questions I think need, that need to be asked instead of this, you know, this is how we do it in here. And I think kids understand that now. I think kids enjoy it. I, I ask them, how do you feel today? Coach, my, my back is killing me from last night. I don't know what I did. I was catching. Then I say, okay. Lay down here. Let me, let me assess a couple things. I'll assess them. We may be able to get them into a better pattern. Maybe they're in a compensation. They instantly feel better. Maybe they don't. Okay, you're not squatting today. I'm going to take you. This is what I want you to do instead. And so the next time when that kid does feel good and he comes into the weight room, he's going to work hard because he knows that I care about how they feel, how he or she 
and I'm always asking them. And I, and I think if we have a kid, let's say they have, they had a big, they had a doubleheader baseball game. I'm just throwing an example out there. Doubleheader mm-hmm. baseball game, and they have four tests because maybe it's the Wednesday before Easter break. So Tuesday night's a doubleheader. Wednesday is four tests. They stay up late. They have the games. They stay up late, and then you ask them to come in there and squat a heavy amount of weight for so many reps. I think that is a disservice to that kid. And if he comes to you and says, Coach, I do not feel very good today. And and it is a kid that you know is sincere and legitimate, then I think you that that it it is wrong to, to squat that kid. And and for most people, again, people think that's soft. I think that's trying to find the effective way to train kids. And I've seen over the, the data that I've tracked that kids will still continue to progress and kids will still get faster. Um, you know, you don't have to kill them four and five days a week. And I, and I think the last point I'll make here on that is I think sometimes we get so, so wrapped up in numbers, weight room numbers, mm-hmm. that yeah. we don't even care if or how it's transferring on the field. But if a kid is squatting 315, we want him so bad to get four plates on that squat rack because, you know, we want to video it and we want to show everybody how many 405-pound squatters we have. It doesn't matter if we're three and six. It doesn't matter. And, and so my question would be, if that kid moves well, if he's strong enough at his position, if he is, is an excellent athlete at whatever it is, if it's baseball, football, or whatever, does he need to squat another 70 pounds? And, and if I would say in most cases the answer to that is no. Now, if the kid comes in and he's struggling with 95 pounds on the bar, we need to do a lot of remedial work. And, yes, that kid needs to get a general base of strength. But I think this infinite chase for numbers, 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 drives us to do entirely too much. You know, we start adding all this weight to the bar. We start changing the, the athlete's spine. We start doing all these things, and now they're beat up all the time, and they can't play on Friday night or Tuesday night at their best. Then are we creating weightlifters, or are we creating successful athletes in our programs? And sometimes I think we need to step back and say, is what I'm doing with that kid in his best interest, or does it make me feel good because he – you know, this is the number that he's putting up in the weight room. Absolutely. And that was kind of what um, we'll kind of wrap up with this last thought, and you kind of hit on it right then of a lot of the times we're taking the the thought of our strength training is it's in its own sport, and, and it's not. It's supposed to be implemented into other sports. It's supposed to be transferred um, from the weight room to the field or from the weight room to the court. So, so through the transformation um, of your journey and what you're doing at your school, how, how have you seen this transfer specifically from the weight room to the specific sports for both males and the female athletes that you train? Yeah. Um, well, you know, just, just from a perspective of um, just speed versus strength. Um, we had one of our athletes, he was a two-way player this year. He's one of the few two-way players uh, we took this whole mindset to our football program, this rest and, and recovery. We did not play a single lineman both ways. We're a 1A school um, mm. in Illinois. We're Royal Illinois, 240 kids, and we had um, seven one-way starters this year, and we had four guys that, that rotated in that were two-way starters. So so one of these guys was our, was our tight end. And uh, so in the fall, we're doing our, our, our workouts and we're doing our sprint work. Um, 
and he's getting faster during the football season. And I know for 15 years of my coaching career, I guarantee my kids got slower during the football season. They got, they just got more beat up, and that was the way I trained them. Totally, totally ruined probably more athletes than I helped for a long, long time. Um, but this kid never had more than 275 pounds on his back, and he's a good athletic yeah. kid. The whole maybe last um, during the, the the training season, and we continued to max sprint. When it got to our, you know, our, our testing day, which I don't even call it that anymore. We don't even really test that way. Um, we work up to a, a good, you know, if it calls for some heavy singles, because we will period, uh, periodization and, and, and we're doing some of the triphasic stuff now, Cal Deets and such. Yeah. But he runs four, he, he goes from four, I think 474 to 454 in his 40, and that's the average of two. Mm. So it's not just a one run, okay? And his squat, and, and he, he felt good at 275. He worked out, he worked up to 315 um, and just smoked it. And I just shut him down right there. I said, that looked great. I said, we don't need to squat any more than that today. And he hadn't had more than 275 on his back the whole training season. And so yeah. I believe that the, the greatest uh, thing for your central nervous system is the max velocity sprint. And I believe that the faster you get, the stronger you also become. Because I don't think you can duplicate the amount of force necessary to run as fast as you can in the weight room. Now, I'm not saying that you should only sprint and not train, but I'm saying there is value in the sprint work when it comes to also the weightlifting side. And so I think when kids start to jump further, they start to sprint faster, that takes care of um, the whole do I want to train? Do I not want to train that whole, oh, we got a lift today, da, da, da. And then don't get me wrong. We have kids that, that would rather not squat on certain days and such. We don't, people don't run out of our doors into the weight room doing, doing cartwheels all the time. Um, <laughs> but they know that we're going to do some effective work in short amounts of time, 30 minutes or less, um, and we're, we're going to have adequate rest in between each time we lift and such. Um, but then when it, when it transfers to sport and they feel they move better, they're, they're faster than the other team, they're, um, you know, more athletic and such. But, but as far as that success football, obviously we, we had been to the semifinals two different times before and couldn't get it done. You know, a lot of times we'd enter the playoffs with a lot of injuries. This year we had no injuries on our team. We made it to the uh, state championship game, played a great Forreston team, who if we play them 100 times, we're probably not going to beat them, you know, and that's, that's kind of another sidebar. I think sometimes football coaches or coaches in general think they have – they can play the right cards or, or create all this toughness and they can win those games. I don't think mm-hmm. it mattered that day how, we, how well we trained our guys and if we'd have went out and ran 1,000 gasters and if we all squatted 700 pounds. They were a good yeah. football team who was very experienced and they beat us. And sometimes that happens. That doesn't mean and – and the same thing happens in Beardstown. Beardstown beat us in a real good physical game. And we played well at times and we didn't play well at times. We could have brought them back and we could have buried them that next week in practice. They were not tough enough. And we could have did all these different things, but we did it. We showed them on film what we needed to correct. We made sure they had rest. And we went back and did football things. And we went on a 10-9, 10-game winning streak, whatever made it to the state state championship game. Our boys' basketball team won the regional championship. Our girls' basketball team won their regional championship. They also upset the number one seed in the entire 2A in the first round of sectional, and they lost in the sectional final in, in a close game four or five points. 
um, our our uh, golf team uh, made it to uh, the re- the regional. They always tell me that when I say look, all the success. They say, "Hey, we're a sport too." Um, <coughs> our uh, our baseball team and our softball team right now are are both definitely contenders to win to win regionals. Um, and and I just think that the the fact that these kids are training year round in in uh as minimally as we can but as effectively as we can it it separates us from those people that only ramp up this training in the summer or now that you know I see this all the time now that football's over we got to get in the weight room well it shouldn't be that it should be hey we're going to we're going to train and I don't even say the weight room if we have 4 days in a week we're only going to be in the weight room too if we have 5 days in a week we're going to be in there too maybe 3 it just depends where we're at and how we're feeling and what we got going on but we're going to do a lot of other things. I, I told our kids uh, a couple weeks ago, I say, hey, next time someone says we're lifting in football, I want you to make sure you tell them that in the last three days we've done ankle work, we've done big toe work, we've done hip flexibility, and we've done all these different things, and uh, we have yet to go into the weight room. And, and sometimes I think people put, like I said, all this on the weight room, the weight room, the weight room, when it should be your training plan in general and, and your injury prevention and all those things and, and, and I have no doubts that our, our, our baseball and our softball team are going to make runs this year. And and, uh, and so we're looking forward to that this spring. Our track program is – our sprinters are, are right up there with, uh, you know, the, the state qualifying time. So we're excited about the spring. That's, uh, that's uh, quite a testament to you, Coach, and uh, to what you're doing. And also mainly, you know, to your kids for their commitment and, and the consistency that we talked about uh, earlier on in the call. Um Coach, once again, thank you for your time. Uh, truly appreciate you getting on with us tonight. Um, best of luck to you in the upcoming season and through the training and all this. And, uh, you know, hopefully we, we can stay in touch and uh, and we can have you back on here later on. Yeah, yes, dude. Thanks a lot. And if someone wants to reach me, um, excuse me, they can reach me by email at bdixon, B-D-I-X-O-N, at cusd3.com. Uh, on Twitter, I'm just Coach B Dixon uh, on Twitter, and, and you can you can reach out to me one of those two ways. It might sometimes it might take me a week. Um, sometimes I get bombarded by emails in a hurry. Other times I have more time to respond. So, but I promise I'll, I'll get back to you. And if I don't, please send me another email. Absolutely, and we'll and we'll tag your stuff when we uh, when we put the podcast <laughs> up on social media, and we'll make sure we tag you and uh, and get this out because this was a phenomenal time, phenomenal information. So thank you once again. Thanks a lot, and thank you guys for for doing this and and helping coaches and athletes and uh, just our high school sports and sports in general um, prosper and and even get better. So so thanks a lot. All right. Thank you, Coach. So once again, we want to thank Coach Brad Dixon so much uh, for taking so much time tonight to share his thoughts on strength and conditioning Um, and not just building the body, but but we know Coach Dixon builds the whole person. He he wins these kids' hearts. Uh, He builds them both physically mentally and spiritually, so we are very much uh, appreciative of him. Um, you know, he's transformed not only his football program, but every program at Camp Point Central. So, once again, you can find all of our past episodes on Anchor, Spotify, and we are under Transformational Coaches Community. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Transformed3E. Um, we will post the link to all our episodes. This episode will be posted later on. Um, so, once again, thank you to Coach Brad Dixon. And remember, guys, our purpose in all of this is to equip empower, and to encourage coaches.
Have a great night, and go be transformational.